Hello and welcome to the Compulsive Reader Talks. I'm Magdalena Ball and today's guest Joel Dean is poet, novelist, journalist and speechwriter. He joined, he joined us back in 2008 with poet Karen Knight just shortly after his book Magisterium was published. And Joel's back today to read from and talk about his third full-length book of poetry, Year of the Wasp. Joel, welcome. Thanks for having me, Magdalena. It's a pleasure. Now, before we begin, um, can I ask you to open by reading one of the poems that was published on Verity Law, the first one I ever read, Paramedics Arrive? It's page three. Sure thing. It's my pleasure. Here goes. Paramedics arrive. Give him a shot of stemical as he thinks of holding a match burning down to the pinch of the summer sun setting behind a line of Norfolk pines, of the resonance of cicadas in January, of men loading fishing boats onto weeping trailers. He murmurs as they cart him from the house. Love is like the pilot of a TV series never made. Not enough. He slurs I have to spew, and the ambo goes, use the bag, champ, and the nurse goes, do you know where you are? And he goes, in an ambulance, although he isn't, not anymore. And so the interrogations begin as stalactites of blood coagulate, sharpen into stakes above bed eight. This is, um, the poems are obviously interlinked, and that one is, to me, I felt that was the most concrete of the poems in the book. Yes. Was it hard to go back to that moment? Uh, yeah, it was. And, uh, you know, I find, um, you know, the, um, it's, it's got, I've been doing a number of readings, and it's gotten easier to read them, but I find them difficult, um, almost distressing to read, to be honest. And I found that, it's a look. It's a collection of poetry I never wanted to write. That's the truth. And um, but I felt I had to. I was driven to. Um, it was almost as, as though I had to prove to myself first of all that I could write poetry again because I had a stroke, and and also, um, I mean, just you know, it was a way to find some resolution with what was a traumatic event. Yes, I mean, you've said in your interview in The Age um, about Catch and Kill, you were talking about the difficulty of writing that book and, and that you kept feeling while you were writing Catch and Kill that that poetry was sort of pulling on you. <laughs> is, it, is this the book? It was. It was. I mean, the, the, there are, I mean uh, the thing is is that first and foremost, I've always been a poet. That's how I, how I, how I see myself. And, um, and so after I had the stroke, I mean, I wanted to, I was desperate to prove to myself that I could still do, though I was still the same person, I guess. And and among those, to prove that I could still write poetry, I was really desperate to. And, you know, that poem is, you know, I wrote a you know, 500-line version of that poem, which was terrible. You know, it took, I, I, for a couple of years, I was really struggling to write poetry because I was so desperate to try and get back to where I was. And the, and the truth is, Maggie, is that I haven't. You know, I'm not the same. I'm not the same person I was. Uh, you know, it's been eight years since I've published my previous collection of poetry, um, and you know, I've changed as we all change. But also, the, you know, that stroke has has changed has changed you know so much, um, so so many ways that are beyond words. And most people don't realise it, but I know it. My wife knows it. My kids know it. Uh, and um, you know, am I better or worse because of it? I'm just different. 
you know, just different. Yes, I mean, do you feel that there's always some kind of trauma, though, that underlies poetry, that, that it's, a, you know, it's a painful opening? That, I mean, I feel like many of the poems in this book are, if not better, they're, they're open doors that wouldn't have been opened without the trauma. Yeah, that's true. I, I mean, it seems, the, the truth is, is that, you know, I went back and I read my previous collections of poetry when I was once had published this, and I realised that so much of my poetry is, comes from and is driven by trauma, exactly as you put it. And the, the truth is, is that, you know, this, you know, I, mean, I guess, you know, circumstances teach us who we are, don't they? You know, for circumstances for better and worse. And, and this you know, the, the stroke and everything after it, you know, really kicked open the doors of a lot of a lot of things within me. Uh, you know, and, and afterwards, you know, I, I, I didn't cope with it very well. I'm not going to say I, I did. Um, you know, I, my wife thought I was trying to kill myself afterwards. You know, it was, it was a pretty, it's, you know, it, it took a long time to get back to some sense of equilibrium, you know, and it felt for a long time like I was, you know, driving through fog, you know, driving through fog with the high beams on, and driving very fast. I didn't know where I was headed. Mm. Does does the poetry help? Is it cathartic to to say kind of unpick it in that way? Poetry always has more than helped. It's been the only way that I've coped mm. with a, with a lot of things. I, uh, you know, I couldn't imagine um, surviving without poetry. That's the truth, and um, I would love to be. <laughs> I would love to have lived a life where I didn't have to write poetry, but I have. And, you know, it, it, I ha- I'm driven to write poetry when I feel like it's the only thing that can help me cope. And so that's, that. and so I, uh, when I'm, when I don't know, when, I, when, I, when the world is beyond words, I'm driven to words. And I'm driven to poetry in particular because poetry is, has always been for me the, the first literature. And, and it's, and it's such a, it's so difficult for me to write properly. It's so difficult for me to, to get it right. And, um, and, and nothing else can come close to a poem to, to sort of, you know, putting a finger on, you know, the stuff of life. Mm, at the heart of who we are. Exactly. Exactly. So how did the book come together as an entity? Did, did you write the sections together as groups? Well, the first section, um, was the part that I I spent a couple <laughs> a couple of years trying to trying to figure out whether or not I was a poet still. To be honest, that first section was where I was trying to figure out whether or not um, I still had that. Like I was writing speeches again. I wrote a nonfiction book, obviously, but you know, I mean, that's not music. You know, poetry is music, and so it's a different comes from a different part of the brain. I just and I had and so that I. That went, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a short collection of poetry, and that first collection, the first section is the longest, but, you know, they, these poems I wrote and wrote and rewrote and rewrote for years, and they, and then all of a sudden, what happened was I went to an art exhibition by a friend of mine called Meredith Squires, and something, it was almost like, you know, felt like my sternum was a tuning fork, and I had that, one of those feelings that I get sometimes from from life and from whatever interactions and that set me off to write some different poems and then the third section was was really a section it's a it's a release the first section is me trying to figure out whether and struggle to try to find poetic voice and language the second section is 
is um, is a cathartic sort of um, almost a, a release from uh, to, from getting out of my cage and, and, and engaging with with um, with things beyond me. And the third section is it felt like when I was writing that, and that's the last section I wrote. Like the last poem in the collection is the last poem I wrote. That felt like it felt like I was. It felt like the road was clear, and it felt like um, I found my that you know that I that I was going somewhere again. It felt like I was a poet again, um, and so up until that moment, I probably felt like a fraud. Mm. Yes, I won't. I won't actually ask you to read the last two um, pages in the book, um, only because they're so wonderful. I'm going to leave them for people to discover. Um, but I did feel like that was kind of the awakening, almost as if you you know. It all comes good at that point. There's such a beauty. At, at, Thank you. At the end. Thank you. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I love that last poem in particular. Yeah, yeah, me too. Um, but since you me- mentioned Meredith Squires, um, Eight Views of Nowhere, there's a lovely play going on here between visual art and poetry that does remind me a little bit of Why I Am Not a Painter by Frank O'Hara. Yes, yeah, I love Frank O'Hara. Yeah. Mm. Um, so can I ask you to read just the maybe just page thirty one that contemplate her eight views of nowhere, since you mentioned it? Absolutely. Let me get to that right now. And, and before I start this, the, um, the if people see the cover image of the book, it comes from the eight views of nowhere um, uh, uh, sort of exhibition that Meredith produced. Um, so here goes. Contemplate her eight views of nowhere. These eight views of myself to which she made me an accessory. Gaze unblinking into the mirrored, reversed world of an extinction in progress. A transfiguration from infinity to infirmary. Delusion to allusion, God to wasp. And the wasps, born anew diurnally as deities would, should they be reproduced to scale on the digital archival paper that holds these views be reborn as dragons to rival Ishura Honda's Keiju, inkjet manifestations of the past anxieties of our tokusetsu life. As for today, fear sets me free, gives me flight, transforms me from an insect into something greater, lesser, blinding me to the moment fast approaching when these wings are no longer able to defy gravity and I too shall fall from the monochrome sky and break my imagined self against the footpath of a confected world. Still, there is truth in this chicanery, truth that the satellite image of a Pacific atoll is a sham made luminescent not by Fukushima, but by the residual of a water stain left on the studio floor in SQ that the mountains are made of self-raising flour, that the drowned cities are stacked containers of plastic, that the moon rising is the parabolic arc of the heat shield of a saucepan seen in cross-section, that everything is as it should be, but nothing, nowhere, is as it seems. There's so much going on in that poem. (laughs) Yeah, I really... Yeah, every, you know, sometimes, I mean, obviously one of the thrills of writing poetry to me is writing something and looking back and not knowing how it was done. And um, and that was one, that's one of the poems in the collection that I really, I really am pleased with, you know, in, in that it, 
it felt, you know, it's it's better than me. You know what I mean? It sort of, you know, just it came out of a there was a lot going on. It sort of and these and they came out cooked. You know, it came out. They all stitched together in, inside and came out in a way that that I that I've not that was not preconceived. That was not a, that was that surprised me. Yes, uh, the wasps make a reappearance in this one, um, and they, they sort of fly through all of the poems in the book as a almost almost like a thread. Yeah, and and that wasn't intended to be honest. They just kept coming back again and again. It's a real um, like this is a this is a pretty organic collection of poetry. Was, I didn't sit, sit down and go, okay, well this is going to happen. This is going to happen. It was, I guess, what you. <laughs> What you're reading as you read it is me just trying to, you know, it's a bit like Humpty Dumpty. I'm trying to put myself back together again, and uh, and sometimes the pieces are put come back in the wrong place, and some, you know, and at various times there's you know there's there's things buzzing around my head, and quite often they're insects for whatever reason. Mm. Do the wasps also represent, to a certain extent, the stroke? Yeah, they they do. It's I mean that. They, they do, and I didn't realise that actually until after I'd written um, a couple of the poems, particularly the second poem in the collection. And um, the, the, the the wasps came from a, I guess the, the genesis of the collection, you know, was that four years ago I was lying in a stroke ward in, in Box Hill Hospital in the middle of winter, and you know, and there was something, and, and there was this weird breeze in, the, in this, you know, in the ward, and I couldn't work out where it was. And this is a time where I couldn't walk, I could not talk properly. And I felt then there was something, and I thought it was a wasp, you know, though it could have been a black hawk helicopter for all I know. But there was something buzzing around it, above me, and, and it made me. And I and I realised afterwards, and I was trying to figure out a lot of things. I was thinking of transfiguration, you know, so that that. The idea that I, that I was becoming something else and ultimately becoming nothing, and and so the wasp was external, but also in the writing. You know, the way that it kept buzzing around in the as one time says gets inside my head. It became internal and became a manifestation of 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 what what had happened and what was going on. So the wasp, the wasp was. I guess it was. It's, yeah. It's many things. Mm. That's the truth. And and in this section, it's the wasp suddenly is not just something that stings or buzzes or distorts and makes it hard to hear and, and focus, but it, you know it becomes something transformative, as you say, the dragons, you know, something powerful. Yeah, that's right. And and, and that was again that surprised me. That was I was, not, I was not intending to write that, but it was just that. Um, you know, one of the things that, that I found after the stroke, one of many things, uh, was I found that I was staring at everything, uh, and you know, particularly you know, birds, insects, whatever else. I found myself fascinated by them, and was and really just was quite often transfixed by them, and 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 just was yeah, for whatever reason, I've spent a lot of time staring at. Mm. You know the wasps that seem to buzz around my tree outside my window every day, and um, and inside my head, and and various other insects, and and they just and they've been visiting me, you know, in my dreams and in my and in my and in my thoughts, and and I'm, I guess I'm trying to I'm trying I've been trying to in these these poems make sense of it, and and I I don't have you know I'd love to be able to give you a really really 
uh, concrete answer <laughs> as to what all these things mean, but I don't have the answers and that's why I've written the poems. Yes, and the, the poems don't need a concrete answer. You don't have to translate them. <laughs> oh, that's, a, that's a relief. <laughs> <laughs> it's what makes them wonderful is they, you know, they do function in, in a way as music. Um, is this the umbrella tree you're talking about? <laughs> yes, it's out my, outside my window. And, um, and every spring in particular, it, it, the blossoms turn white. And, you know, and there's you know, wasps and bees and all, all manner of insects come around. But, you know, we, you know the, the wasps in, in particular, uh, yeah, they're, um, and they're, they're beautiful and they, and they hurt. <laughs> They hurt. They've stung me a couple of times and it really bloody hurts, you know. It really does. But anyway. So it, uh, that seems like an opportune time then to ask you to read The Wasps in the Umbrella Tree, um, 23. Sure. To... The Wasps in the Umbrella Tree. Exclamation marks in search of ending. Turn people into verbs. Pour at the evening. Jerk upright as they marionettes, dancing one, two, three once more at the school ball. Where the boys wear shirts untucked and the girls the best dresses their mothers could afford. Where another storm kicks the ceiling of the basketball stadium as though it were the stubborn key on a typewriter. Such is the monotony of punctuation. Because when it rains, it rains. Because when it is dry, it is dry, because the run-on sentence of the horizon is a page that can only be turned. Another thing that seems to run through the poems, and certainly in this one, is this metapoetic quality, um, you know, the notion of what the artistic process is. And that's been the case for everything you've read today as well. Yeah. Yeah, I hadn't, I hadn't thought of it that way. I mean, I guess what I was... You know, the, uh, um, I've not generally sought to write poems about about that the process, but I think that it, they, it came out naturally this time because I was trying to figure out I was trying to figure out the process. It felt like I was trying to learn how to walk and run again. So that's probably what that comes from. Is that you know I was trying to you know uh, have. You know, one of the one of the big um, problems I've had to deal with post-stroke, and it's and it's an ongoing issue, is fatigue. You know, I'm you know every day <laughs> I'm exhausted by most days. You know, I'm really really knackered, and so given that you know the amount of energy, I mean, people don't realise how physical writing is, and it's you know, and you know the amount of energy that goes into reading and writing properly and, and, and writing a poem properly. You know, so I'm, I'm, I'm trying to learn new ways to run in that regard that where I'm harnessing all my energy that I've got to get where I need to go. So that I, guess I'm, I guess it comes from, again, I mean, it comes from the stroke. It comes from, you know, the fact that I've had to, that I'm having to figure out new ways to do do things. And at the moment, I've, you know, like I've finished this collection of poetry, which is a major, It's a, it feels the most important book I've had that I've written because I wasn't sure if I could do it again. The next thing, I need to write a novel. And to be honest, Maggie, I've got no idea if I can. You know, I've got no idea if I can harness the energy, if I can find the energy for it, but I've got to try it. Yeah. So, 
You know, it, it is true that nobody does, though. <laughs> true. Yes, I mean, I think, true. I think even major novelists at the start, and certainly everybody I've spoken to, um, <laughs> they <laughs> never think that at the start of, of it. <laughs> <laughs> Very good to be reminded of that. Yeah. 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 But I also felt um, that throughout the work, and, and of course it, it is, you know, that there's a, a a tremendous weaving between the personal and the public in this work. I mean, certainly there is an unbearable intimacy at times. You know, I feel as a reader, you almost feel you don't have a right to, to go here. <laughs> you know, that this yeah. is so intensely personal. And yet, um, I also felt, even in the most personal and concrete poems, that there's much broader things going on than your own personal experience, you know, it's utterly political and far-reaching, sort of the micro and macro scale are operating simultaneously, which I think mm -hmm. is characteristic of your work as a whole. Yeah, it, it is. Again, that's one, I mean, obviously I've worked in politics, I've been involved in a lot of political campaigns, community political campaigns, I'm still involved in politics, particularly for the disability movement. Um, so, yeah, it seems to just, it comes, it's not, it's not that something that I it's not something that I plan, particularly with poetry. It just comes. It, it, when it comes, it comes, and it, and and it's all seems to cook and and mesh in together. And you know, I, I it's part of me. That's, this is, I guess it's it's been such a part of my life. Mm. You know that, that that public the public fights that I've been involved in, such a part of my life, and I and I feel so powerfully about about them. That um, I, I didn't realise um, for a long time that it would that it would naturally come out in poetry, and and even in this one, I wasn't actually expecting it to. And, and you're right, it's a very personal collection of poetry. My wife, who's been my first reader for most for my entire writing life, um, yeah, I didn't show her this collection of poetry before I published it, and. Um, because, you know, to be honest, I just, um, I'm here talking about it, but I didn't want to talk about it with her. And we actually had a really wonderful conversation late one night after it was published where I was trying to explain to her why I hadn't shown it to her. Because it's so, it's, it's you know, the, the trauma is not just mine. And, um, and yeah, you know, she always finds it hard to go to my poetry readings. And this one was a particularly difficult one for her to go to. And, um yeah, I mean, I felt like I had to apologise to her for the collection. Really. Well, I suppose all the personal stuff is truly personal for her. It is. Whereas it is. for a reader, you read you read much broadly, you know, into it. I mean, yes, yeah, you do. You know, yeah. you read about pain and and you think of the pain of a refugee, and and that is such a, you know, it's something that I think everybody can empathise with in that way, and and the I connection so. is not, yeah. it's not a it's not a tenuous connection, you know. Pain is pain. And... It it is, and it's and I think that I mean, I mean one of the, I mean to speak you know, pu about public matters momentarily. You know, I, I really feel like there's been a collective um, failure of imagination. We've failed as a as a people to to imagine how it would be to be in the to be on the other end of the, some of the policies that we have voted for and enacted and have been done in our name. And yeah, you know, and I just find that. You know, distressing. I find it really, really hard to live with the things that are done in my name as a citizen of this country. Mm. Yeah, so is it not also the sense of, you know, once we've felt a kind of intense helplessness, you can't put that aside in somebody else. You know where they are. 
Yeah, yeah, I think that's, that's it. it. I, I mean, mean, it's... Um, I mean, the other, one of the things... I mean, we spoke earlier about doors being kicked open. One of the things... I mean, I've always... You know, I grew up Irish Catholic and there's a lot of, um, you know, a lot of things were kept really locked down. Poetry was, was been one of the ways where I've unlocked a lot of emotional sort of baggage. Um, and I didn't realise until I was born to my 30s, I was actually, that I'm very, very, you know, I get, I'm very, I get very emotional. And one of the things post-stroke is that, um, uh, the, I guess those, some of those filters that stopped me that's kept my some of my more emotional behaviour contained in my poetry is coming out more and more in public, and um, you know to put it crudely, I lose my shit a lot more. I get upset. Um, I've always been upset about things, but I think that I'm I find it much harder to to mask my things public, my thoughts and feelings publicly, and I just find them I seem to be getting much more distressed and upset about. Things as I get older, I'm getting more and more, um, yeah, emotionally engaged and attached to things. I don't know. I don't know why, but I think it's it's related to parenthood, mm. you know, having children, getting older, mortality, you know, uh, you know, and you know, and, and and that sense of being part of something and and not having control of it over it and feeling it's going out of control and feeling that people that I'm on the that people on the other end of this are just getting done over. And I just find it really hard to live with. Yes. But also important, isn't it, to, to keep ourselves open, to not close down to these feelings? Oh, yeah, no, I, I'm really – it doesn't upset me that I get upset. I think that, you know, it's um, – and it's one of the things I say to my, my children, especially my son, because, you know, we encourage, you know, much of behaviour and boys and men to be, to be you know, to be, to be uh, hard – you know, we confuse, you know, strength with you know, hardness, you know, with, with, with inflexibility. And I think there's nothing wrong with it. Sometimes, I mean, one of the lines in one of the poems, which is, you know, it takes courage to be scared, it does. You know, it takes courage to admit that you're scared of, 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 of the way the world is going rather than just to march on blithely off the, like lemmings off a cliff. Yeah, you know? yeah. And yet there's nothing else, really, at the end of the day no. that matters. Um, no. Can I get you to read one a, a very short poem? Um, yes, sure. A very moving, almost almost Buddhistic poem, um, which is uh, page 17, The Art of Becoming Nothing. Mm. Yes. The art of becoming nothing is redaction. Slicing away all sinew until not a shadow can be found Reflected in a mirror, not a word printed on the page. I feel I need to be silent now. (laughs) (laughs) Talk to me a little bit about that poem, just briefly. It's one of those ones that um, I wasn't, it's one of those ones that took a lot of work to get down to. I mean, I wrote a lot, I wrote many, many pages. And then did many, many drafts and cutting it back. It's heavily and, condensed. Uh, absolutely, mm. absolutely heavily condensed. And um, and ultimately, I, I was. I mean, for me, the you know part of me is I always thought the perfect poem would be just a blank page with no words, and the reader picks up and goes exactly. You know, that's. And this was one of those times where I'm trying to get to that sort of. That's that. 
hear that impact. And, you know, and it was just, I mean, obviously, you know, it was one of the final, the last collect book poems I wrote for that first section. Um, it's a poem that I wrote after I had seen Meredith Squire's um, uh, exhibition. So, you know, and so I, and I went and it was, and I knew it wasn't to do with Meredith's. I knew it was to do with the first section. I knew it was to do with trying to figure out, but it was informed by, you know, my thinking about art, my thinking about, you know, the transfiguration and about, the fact that, you know, here I was, you know, I was almost like, you know, I felt like I was being fired from a cannon and I was, what was I, what was I in the process of becoming? You know, what was it, you know, was I, you know, was I a wasp? Was I a bird? Am I nothing? Am I, am I a writer? Am I a poet? And so that was, it was just a way of trying to, I guess, get to that, um, anxiety. It's a poem, it's a poem, it's a poem, it's an existential poem. For me, and I mean a lot of, and it's about trying to figure out what, if anything, I am. And, and yet, there's a beautiful irony in it, of course, because you know the words are printed on the page. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Exactly. And that was, you know, it's and it's, you know, and, and you know, there's a number of things I thought of. You know, I mean, you know, ref, you know reflected in the mirror. Obviously, at that time, I was thinking of, you know, one of my favourite. Yeah, um, obits is you know I think is it Keats that wrote you know he lies one whose name is written on water. Yeah. I've always thought that's a beautiful thing to write on your tombstone. Yes. And and um, yeah, and I, and I realised afterwards that that was that was that for me, if for no one else, that you know that line in particular reflected in the mirror was connected connected to that mm. to that Keatsian thought. Yes. Wonderful. So um, what's next for you, Joe? We're nearly out of time, but um, I did read yeah. somewhere that you are working on that third novel. <laughs> I've got a couple of novels I'd like to write, but to be honest, um, uh, I've, I mean, yeah, I spoke of fatigue. I'm really, I've, I've now published two books in the last 10 or 11 months and I'm, and I'm, I'm exhausted. I've actually been finding it really hard to, um, function because of the because of the process of, the, of writing those two books back to back, and so the rest of the year I'm just going to be really really boring and leading a monastic life and trying to be healthy so that I can build up my um, energy levels and my fitness levels to be able to tackle and assault another novel. Um, and next year I've got two ideas. One may well may well is. The one I'll probably write is a an historical novel set in Victorian, as a colonial Victorian. And it'd be a novel that's interested in, um, I guess, uh, the eradication of um, histories. How we wipe out one history. How history, How one tradition is 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 sort of um, caked over or concreted over by the next. You know, like the way that colonial Victoria really eradicated, um, sort of, you know, and I've tried to eradicate Indigenous Victorian history. And then you had, there was the Vandemonians, so like the Tasmanian convicts that came in with the, with the, um, with the squatters and then they were pretty much, their, their, their imprint on Victoria was wiped out by, by the gold rush. So I'm interested in that, but obviously it'll be following a particular character who's had, a, as always with me, a traumatic event, so... Yeah. 
Wonderful. A lot of research, I can imagine, for that too. Yeah, I'm a history buff, so I've got a um, the, one of the benefits of that. You know, I've got a lot. I, I know a lot about it already. So I'm just trying. To, what I'm trying to do is um, it, the way with a novel. I, I wait till I feel like I've got a head of steam where it just needs to get out, and this character's ready to walk. And I'm I'm there now, but I'm just not ready to write. So I need to get into a position where I can write it. And um, and I know that if my yeah my wife is threatened on the side, if I um, do myself um, make myself as sick as I did after the last couple of books, so um, I need to I need to I promise her that I'll be healthy before I write the next book. So I need to get healthy first. Yeah. Um, In training. <laughs> it is. It is. You know what it's like, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, that is all we have time for. But, Joel, thank you so much for taking time out to talk to me today. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thanks. Bye for now. Bye. Okay. <laughs>